Well, hey there, guys. Greetings and salutations, and welcome back to the channel for this afternoon's edition of Open Mic, the show where the mic is open. The floor is yours. What are the things that you guys want to talk about? That's what we're here to do. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it's an awesome honor and privilege to have you guys joining me here this afternoon for this very, you know, Open Mic's a very casual, laid-back show. It's just us chatting. That's all it is. Just, just us chatting about the world of entertainment that we love so much. I'm going to let you guys know there's two ways to get a question addressed on the show. One is to use our tip link. You can find a link for that down in the description, but it's simply at streamelements.com slash John Campia slash tip. So if you go on down and use that, you can go in and send in a tip. Now, we won't get it if you send it in now. That's for, you know, if you're watching any of this show and if any of the other 23 hours a day that we're not streaming live, if you are watching live and you want to get a show on or a question on, go ahead and use the Super Chat feature in the live chat. Send it in over there. And uh, as long as your question is appropriate to be used on our show, we will use it here on the show and address it. Um, I, I meant to mention this a little bit earlier today, uh, and I forgot to, but a lot of you guys will notice that we didn't have a um, uh, John Campy show yesterday. We had no shows yesterday. Uh, the reason for that is uh, my wife, Anne, went in for surgery yesterday. Uh, obviously a very concerning time for me, um, but uh, surgery went great. Uh, the doctor was very enthusiastic and very happy with the way it all went. Mm. And Anne has recovered from the surgery so well uh, that she actually, her friend has taken her over to uh, over to Disneyland today. Anne is off walk, taking it easy, but walking around Disneyland today as she's recovering from her surgery. But uh, that's where I was yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, she had her surgery in the morning. We went and took care of that, and uh, that's why we didn't have a show yesterday. So thank you to everybody who sent in their well wishes. I really appreciate that very much, as does Anne. So uh, thank you guys very, very much for that. Uh, and the reason I'm not at Disneyland with my wife, Anne, is because fuck Disneyland. I will never darken their door again. Uh, but my wife is more than allowed to go with uh, her friends. So anyway... Uh, good to have you guys here. Now, before we get into your questions, uh, as we normally do here on the show, we like to, uh, on Open Mic, we like to take a, a topic that's going on and, and stuff like that. And I thought this one was interesting. And it kind of came from this article on Screen Rant that uh, ran this article, a new Aquaman 2 trailer spoilers suggest two heartbreaking theories are true. So here's the basic gist of it. There are a set of theories out there right now about there being two deaths, the possibility, the potential, if you will, of two deaths. And one of those deaths is Aquaman's dad, Django Fett himself. The second option that people are saying, the second death people think are, is going to happen is Aquaman's son who, of course, we meet in the trailers. Aquaman and Mara have a son now, and uh, yeah, and, and there you go. So the theories are going around that those two die. So I thought we would take a quick second here and talk about who possibly could die in this Aquaman film. Now, I've heard some people say that they think basically all of them are going to die. Like Aquaman's mom, Aquaman's dad, Aquaman himself... Mara, Aquaman's kid, uh, maybe even uh, uh, Jay Pats. Is that no? What's, no, it's not Jason Patrick. It's uh, is it Jason Pat? No, it's Jason. What's the name of the guy who plays 
I'm always freezing on the guy's name. The guy who plays uh, uh, Aquaman's brother. What's the name of the actor again? It's uh, Jason. Anyway, uh, you guys in the live chat, tell me. Um, P. Willie, that's it. Patrick Wilson, P. Willie. So there's a theory that all these main characters could die, right? Because, they would say, this is the final DCEU movie, so they might like kind of go with a Shakespearean tragedy and all of them die. Of course, the problem with that theory is that when they made Aquaman 2, they did not know this was going to be the final um, DCEU movie, right? When they went off and the director and the studio went off and started the process of making Aquaman 2, they had no idea it was going to be the final movie they were doing. Mm. Or of the final movie that would be of the whole DCEU. So that brings up the options we have, right? We have several options. And I think the options of who dies are Aquaman's dad, Aquaman's mom, Mara, Aquaman's son, and Aquaman himself. All right. I am going to go out on a limb and say, yes, Aquaman's dad dies. I, I, I think that's obvious. I don't think there's anybody in the live chat here who doesn't think that Aquaman's dad will die in this. I mean, they're, they clearly build up the relationship, how special that relationship is. You always want to have something that your main hero can lose that's a sub, sub, significant value to them. I think his dad's going to die. If there's anybody who disagrees, if there's anybody who thinks dad lives, go ahead and type dad lives in the live chat. But I, I don't think there's many of you. I don't think there's many of you. So I, I, but, so I think it is pretty clear. I think the dad dies. I think Django Fett dies. Okay, well, let's talk about the mom. I also think the mom dies. And now remember, they they do um, this moment in the trailer where Black Manta's like, I'm going to kill everyone he loves, right? Does that threat ring really true if he only kills off one person that he loves? Like, he loves his brother, he loves his mom, he loves his dad, he loves his kid. Can you really play up Black Manta's badness if he says i'm gonna kill everyone he loves and he only manages to kill one of them so i'm gonna go out on a limb and i'm going to guess remember this is not a scoop this is me guessing i'm just i could be right it could be wrong i'm just taking a wild guess here i am guessing that the mom dies also so i think the daddy dies i think the mommy dies okay let's get to the wife let's get to mara i think mara dies I mean, listen, because there's there's two big things about that, right? Not only would losing Mara be big to Aquaman, but it would be it would make the audience really feel it because now this child doesn't have its mother, right? Because the child no longer so it's like a double boom boom. It's like a double punch. The character loses his wife, and the child loses its mother. So. Um, I think the mama dies. I think the daddy dies and I think the wife dies. And the other reason I think that is not only because it would provide a double emotional punch, one for how we feel for the kid losing its mother and Aquaman himself losing the love of his life. But the other thing is this, there could be other reasons for it. Yes. And there are other reasons for it, but we've only seen Mara in really one shot. That kind of tells me that maybe she dies by midway point of the movie or earlier. And and there's uh and there's that. All right, so I think 
Right now, we got a total death slaughter going on. I think the mom dies. I think the dad dies. I think the wife dies. Okay, let's move on to P. Willie. The brother. While I think it would be incredibly dramatically moving if Aquaman, after reforging this relationship with his brother, if then the brother dies. It wouldn't be the first time we've seen that in movies, right? And while I think there would be real and emotional kick to that, I don't think they're going to have P. Willie die. I don't think Patrick Wilson dies in this. I, I think Patrick Wilson lives. So I'm going to go there. Okay. So mom dies, dad dies, wife dies, brother lives. What about the kid? What about the baby? All right. On the one hand, if we're talking about losses for us to feel an emotional impact narratively for the hero, there is nobody on this list, not mom, not dad, not wife, not brother, that would have a bigger emotional punch in the face to our lead main character than if his child dies, right? So there's a really strong narrative argument to be made for that. However, I don't think WB's got the balls to kill. Uh, I don't think James Wan has the balls to kill the kid. I don't think Warner Brothers as a whole has the balls to kill the kid. And to be quite honest, I think 90% of the audience would not want to see the kid die. I mean, narratively, it would be very powerful, right? Uh, the, 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 narratively, it would be very, very powerful for Aquaman to lose his son. 100%, absolutely. But I think we all know that 95% of the audience would not want the baby to die. And I, quite frankly, don't think Warner Brothers or James Wan or anybody involved with Aquaman would have the balls to do it. So my final tally, the scorecard, if you will, is I think there's going to be three family deaths. I think dad dies. I think everybody agrees with that one. I think the mom dies. That's 50-50. I think Amber Heard uh, Amber Heard's Mara dies. I think that's 50-50. I don't think P. Willie dies. I don't think Patrick Wilson, the brother, dies, although he's certainly on the table. Certainly on the table. And I don't think the baby dies. So that's where I'm going to land on this as far as uh, these discussions going around about who dies in Aquaman 2. And, uh, and then, well, you know, Elias brings up a good point. What about Aquaman himself? Because I don't think they at all had in mind that this Aquaman movie was going to be the final DCU movie, I do not think Aquaman dies. Um, I mean, if they had started making this movie after James Wan took over Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers let them all know, hey guys, just so you know, your movie, Aquaman 2, is going to be the final DCEU movie, then I think you can make a really, really good argument Um that uh, Aquaman will die in that one. But since they had no idea that this was going to be the last one, and uh, Tiak saying, what if the end says Aquaman will return? You're thinking of Marvel movies. Marvel movies does that. Uh, so it ain't going to say Aquaman will return. Plus, I mean, we also all know, at least we all speculate, we all theorize that Jason Momoa is going to be Lobo in the new... Uh, the new DC universe. So, I mean, there's, there's that, but again, if they had any inclination to that before making Aquaman two, then you can make the argument that Aquaman dies, but I do not think Aquaman's going to die. So 
For me, it's three and three. On the die list, mom, dad, wife. On the live list, Aquaman himself, brother, baby. So I think that's the way they're going to split it. Maybe I'm right. Maybe it'll be totally reversed. Maybe all of them die. Maybe nobody dies. Who knows? But uh, we'll see how all that goes. All right, guys. With that all down, let's get into the reason why we are here, which is to take your comments and questions. So let's get things started here. And we're going to start off with uh, this. We're going to start off with Mr. Dorr, who writes, uh, Remedy confirmed today that Poets of the Fall will perform as Old Gods of Asgard at the Game Awards. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, check out Alan Wake 2. We sing full gameplay sequences video on IGN's YouTube channel for a pure moment of art. Oh, I've watched the video. Yeah, I've I've watched the video for um, um, the Old Gods of Asgard from Alan Wake 2. I've, I've definitely watched that and I definitely enjoyed it. And he is... Um, they and I can confirm they did. I was actually at the Game Awards. I mentioned that today on the uh, John Campus show that I was at the Game Awards, and sure enough, the old guards of Asgard they came out. The cast of the game came out. They performed the big song. It was a lot of fun. It was very cool. So they did indeed do that. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Leafs need to win. Ah, from your eyes or from your mouth to God's ears, my friend. Leafs need to win. Writes. Uh, how do you figure Godzilla versus Kong was one and one a fight? It was one and one. It was it was clearly one and one. It, it, think of it in terms of wrestling. It really was. I have a two zero. Uh, well, your your scorecard is wrong uh, because fights two and three were really just one big long fight that Godzilla ultimately won. No, that no, was one and one. Totally one and one. Your judges' scorecards are suspect, my friend. Suspect. Although the Leafs do need to win. All right. Garden variety vagabond rights. Uh, I think the reason that Taylor Swift crushed Beyonce at the box office is for three main reasons. One, Taylor is active in interacting with her fan base on social media. Well, a lot of, a lot of, it's not like Taylor Swift is the only one that does that. A lot of music stars do that. Uh, two, Beyonce is a goddess while Taylor is a gir dorky girl next door. There are a lot of dorky girl next door kind of artists. I, I don't think that's any of the reason. Uh, and three, Taylor started as a teen. That's irrelevant. Beyonce has been around forever. Um, she she may have started when she was a teen. I, I don't know how old Beyonce was when they did Destiny's Child. So my, I got to get a new office chair, guys. This office chair gradually starts to sink as I'm sitting in it. Um, no, listen, the reason the Taylor Swift movie made so much more money at the box office than the Beyonce movie is because Taylor Swift is the bigger star right now. It's There's, there's nothing else beyond that. That's the reason Taylor Swift is the bigger star right now. She just is that that's, I mean, every metric you look at will tell you that it's not a matter that's up for discussion or debate. Every metric shows you she is the more popular star right now. She's not better than Beyonce. Don't confuse that. All right. Don't confuse. I'm not saying Beyonce. I'm not saying that Taylor Swift is as good of an artist as Beyonce. Not at all. But right now, Beyonce or Beyonce is not as big right now as Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is the biggest star in the world. That's why, like when, when the Taylor Swift movie was coming out and all the tickets were starting to sell and all that kind of stuff, and people said, wow, the, the theater should start doing this with a whole bunch of concert films. I said, well, the problem is that there is only one Taylor Swift. Like, I don't know that there is anybody else. And I said at the time, this is before we knew a Beyonce documentary was coming. I said, 
like maybe Beyonce. Beyonce is the only other one that I think could maybe come close, but I, there's nobody else. Not you two. Not um. I, I, I don't know who's even close to being as big as that right now. Like, uh, by the way, I don't think Bad Bunny sells nearly as many movie tickets as Taylor Swift did. I don't think there's a single star in the world that is on Taylor Swift's level. Like, Taylor Swift starts dating somebody and it's front page news and all the major news outlets. Who cares? But, I mean, it is what it is. So, um, yeah, it, it, it just is. And... Uh, Kyle is saying, like, why compare? Well, we compare because there is something out there to compare. The success of the Taylor Swift movie and the success of the Beyonce movie. And by the way, again, this isn't a knock on Beyonce. It's just that I don't think there's any star in the world right now that was going to sell as many tickets. Um, uh, at all. <laughs> John Campion, what? Yeah, Blue Jays. How about that, huh? How about that? And no, iciness BTS would not sell half the amount of tickets in movie theaters. As big as BTS is right now, they wouldn't sell half the amount of movie tickets. If they would, their little documentary wouldn't be going straight to streaming. It would be going to theaters. But uh, again, that's not a knock on any of them. And no, Tony, Drake is not big enough. Not right now. And I say that loving my good Canadian kid, Drake. For those of you who don't know, Drake is Canadian. My good Canadian kid, Drake, he wouldn't sell that many tickets either. Nobody would. That's why it's, well, maybe Alton. Yeah, maybe John Campia would. Maybe John Campia would. Anyway, all right, let's keep going here. Next up, uh, let's see, Leo writes, uh, one of two, hey all, thanks uh, for such a wonderful show. Thank you, Leo. As someone who's bought slash binged episodes of Cake Boss and Apple devices once or twice, I am very disappointed about uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and PlayStation. I was excited about Zaslav and WBD, but after the strikes, uh, subtle content changes and now the possibility of removal of content from platforms like Disney Plus, Netflix and now PlayStation. I'm worried about big studios seeming uh, seeming disregard for film preservation. Is there a uh, prevention method for this uh, which is fair to actors and studios? Well, of course, this is all coming from the fact that uh, news came out the other day. We talked about it on the John Campia show that um uh, discovery content shows like uh, this old house. I think this is old house is on there. Uh, Flipper flop. Um, uh, what's the name of the Chip and Joanna show? What's theirs is like the most famous one. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, uh, extreme makeover, cake boss. Um, you know all the cooking. You know all that kind of stuff. If you bought seasons of that on the PlayStation, uh, all that was taken away. Not the Magnolia Network, Rachel. I mean the actual, the name of their main show, the name of their renovation show, their home renovation show. Um, I can't remember the name of the, their main re uh, home renovation show. Anyway, the Discovery shows, if you were somebody who on PlayStation bought seasons of Discovery shows... And I, I personally don't know anybody who has, but I'm like, sure, there are people like you who have. Because now of a licensing breakdown between Discovery and PlayStation, those shows are being taken away, even if you bought them. Now, the only solution that I personally see for this, because listen, it's just, listen, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and PlayStation 
their deal lapsed and now PlayStation lost the license to have the, that content hosted on their servers. They lost the license to do it. So I would say the only way that I think this can be fixed, and I said this on the John Campion show, is they need, the government needs to step in and make a law. And that law would simply be this. If a consumer buys a movie episode or season of television on one of your services, and for whatever reason, the licensing deal between your service and the rights holders breaks down and you need to pull that show or movie off your, your, uh, your service, then you should give the people who bought that show, you know, a week or two week window where they can download an actual copy of that season or movie since they bought it. So in this case, Warner Brothers Discovery and PlayStation, they're saying, okay, our deal broke. So we're no longer going to have our content discovery. We're no longer going to have our content be able to be hosted on PlayStation Store. PlayStation Store is kind of acting as the distributor. So PlayStation and Warner Brothers Discovery would then be responsible to say, okay, before we pull this content down, we need to provide downloadable copies of those shows or movies to the people who purchase them. If they do that, it's simple. Queen is saying it sounds so complicated. It's not complicated. It's really not complicated at all. So like Queen, if, if you are doing a service, like you're doing a streaming service and I buy a season of, I don't know, Dukes of Hazard on your service, but then say two years from now, you lose the right on your streaming service to allow me access to Dukes of Hazard? Fine. Before you pull Dukes of Hazard down though, you have to provide me with a downloadable link so I can download a copy of that thing I bought from you. It's really not complicated. I, I think that's pretty straightforward. I think it solves the problem. And um, hopefully they, they find a way, that, like again, I don't think the studios or the streaming companies are gonna do this. I think it's gonna take the government to step in and make a law to protect consumers because you buy something, you're buying it in good faith that you are always going to have access to it. And I, I think they need to step in and uh, and make sure they make that possible for people. Anyway, all right. Uh, next up, we've got My Name is Jeff, or My Name Jeff, a little bit of uh, 21 Jump Street in there. Uh, do you think Rodan or any of the other titans we saw in King of the Monsters will be back in Godzilla x Kong? Godzilla versus Kong novel novelization, which is canon, did reveal they are still alive, just dormant example. Rodan is nesting in a volcano north of Fiji. Uh, I would. My answer to that question is I don't care. Um, I'm watching Godzilla versus Kong to see Godzilla and Kong, to be honest with you. If it was just Godzilla, a Godzilla movie, or if it was just a Kong movie, then I would be interested in thinking about who the other monsters would be. But because you got Godzilla and Kong and you got Scar King, I am perfectly happy with that being that. I, I don't think there's a need to overcomplicate thing by... Some people are saying, bring back King Ghidorah. Some people singing in Rodan, bring back Mothra, bring it like all this kind of stuff. And you could, you can, I just don't really care. Because personally, I'm going to see Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, 
and and the two of them teaming up to take on uh, the Scar King. So do I think they'll bring back any of those monsters? I don't think they will, but it is completely possible. I mean, you did see at the end of Godzilla King of the Monsters, you did see that a lot of those Titans are still alive, right? They came in and they had to bow to, to Godzilla. Of course, if they knew Kong was around, they'd be bound to Kong because there can only be one king and that king is Kong. But um, it's totally possible they can, Jeff, but I don't think they will. We'll see, though. We'll see. All right, next up. Uh, we've got uh, Griffith who writes, Hey, John. Have you seen Scavenger's Reign yet? Never even heard of it. It's a sci-fi horror animated series about survivors that crash on a beautiful planet. It absolutely blew me away. I hope you or others get a chance to check it out on HBO. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I've never even heard of it. Um, I've never heard anybody talk about it. It doesn't really sound like it's something that's up my alley, so I probably won't go out of my way to watch it. But if, like Blue Eye Samurai... Or if, like Harley Quinn, if enough people write into me and tell me that it's awesome and they really, really think I should watch it, if enough people do that, then maybe I will. Because I did that with Blue Eye Samurai, and I'm glad they did. And I did that with Harley Quinn, and I'm glad they did. But no, Griffin, as of right now, I haven't even heard of the show, so I definitely haven't watched it yet. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we got The Richard, who writes, Aloha, fam. Uh, Lady Ballers is a really controversial, funny film. I'm not even familiar with it. Uh, it's essentially early 2K humor like Euro Trip and American Pie. It does have modern social relevancy. Forget the political side uh, of the studio, Daily Wire. These guys can make entertaining films. Oh, I've seen, I've personally seen no evidence of that, that they can make entertaining films. I have not heard of Lady Ballers yet, and I, I haven't heard any uh, reviews of it yet. So I don't know anything about it. So I, I can't say anything good or bad about it. I, I don't know anything about it, but, uh, um, yeah, maybe again, if I hear from other people, maybe, but again, I have yet to see any evidence that daily wire can put out entertaining films. Cause I've not seen evidence of that yet. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, um, regarding Deadpool three concerns, I personally feel like a Deadpool movie can handle cameos better than Dr. Strange two could and connections to Disney plus, shows better than the Marvels could. So I'm not worried. I, I don't see any reason to believe that. I, I, look, whenever you do something that requires homework, and again, I have all the belief, all the belief in the world, in, in Ryan Reynolds, obviously. But I am a little bit concerned. I don't think there's any reason to believe they can handle cameos better. By the way, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I don't care what anybody else says. I thought they handled their cameos great. The John Krasinski as, as Reed Richards in that movie was great. People just cried because they wanted more of it. Well, it, it wasn't a Reed Richards movie. It was Doctor Strange movie. And they had this sequence in the film that required us to see these ultra-universal versions of you know, Captain America, or in this case, Captain Carter, or who Captain Marvel is, and Professor X, and and Black Bolt, and all that kind of stuff. But they were meant to be in a portion of the movie that helped establish the true power of Wanda, just how powerful Wanda is, right? So the problem was not Patrick Stewart appearing. It's just a lot of people got upset that they wanted to see uh, more people. They want to see more time of Patrick Stewart in there. There was, there was, John Krasinski's appearance was great. It's just that people cried because they wanted more John Krasinski um, in it. The whole purpose of that scene, the whole narrative function of that sequence 
was to show just how brutally powerful and how far gone Wanda had become. And it served the, uh, it served the, the purpose beautifully. It served the purpose of it absolutely perfectly. It was exactly what a cameo was supposed to be. It was supposed to be there, serve a narrative purpose, and then be gone. That's what cameos are. And Doctor, listen, I've got, you know, I've got my issues with Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness. You know, I have my issues with that movie, but that was not one of the issues. Uh, that was a, a, they handled that really well. So, and I have no doubt that Deadpool will be, will be able to handle cameos just as well as that. But again, I am very hesitant because whenever a Marvel movie has relied on people's knowledge of the TV shows, it's gone wrong. And yeah, I just, I'm a little bit worried about that. I am a little bit worried about that. Uh, anyway, next up. We go to, um, where are we at? We are at Matthew Grant, who writes, Godzilla minus one hit me pretty hard. I've been down a lot lately, and this film really elevated me and made me feel that it's okay to try and be happy. It's the first Godzilla film that actually made me tear up a little. Yeah, listen, I I 100% believe that this is the best Godzilla movie that we've ever had. I, I really think it's that good. And... Um, I, for one, loved the film. I thought it was really great. It's not going to end up in my top five films of the year or anything like that. But for a Godzilla movie, it had depth. It had emotional truisms to it. The human characters were actually had really interesting, deep stories. See, the problem with some Godzilla movies isn't the fact that you have humans. It's that you have boring humans or pointless humans, Right. That's why Monarch is working so well. Yeah, it's mostly about humans, but they've got a really cool, interesting story that they're telling. Godzilla Minus One definitely spends way more time on the humans than on Godzilla, but that's okay because they're really interesting characters with a really emotionally compelling story that's being told. And because of that, it really, really works. And so, uh, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Matthew. I'm really glad you did. All right, next up. We've got uh, original animation flops, right? Only sequels slash known IP animations break out since 2018. Like Teenage Kraken, Migration is projected to be the uh, to be Illumination's worst box office. Why didn't Disney release any sequels since 2019? Inside Out and Mufasa will be uh, the first since. Only Lightyear was a known IP, a spinoff. Um, here's the thing. You can't make an argument that only um, sequels make money. I mean, listen, Turning Red is one is one of the best animated films. We, other than the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which, by the way, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was an original film. Based on a known IP, yes, but it was an original film. It wasn't a sequel. It wasn't anything like that. First time we had Miles Morales on the big screen. You know, fantastic. Um. Turning Red should have won the Academy Award for Best Animated Film. It was fabulous. The problem was it never got a chance to be in theaters. Now, they are releasing it in theaters now, but it's not going to make any money because everybody already saw it a couple of years ago. So it's, it's not going to make any money. Disney's just putting Luca, Soul, and Turning Red back in theaters to make the people who work at Pixar um, feel good. And, and that's a smart move. 
because the people at Pixar have been a lot of grumbling at Pixar, right? And now that Bob Chapek is gone, Bob Iger comes in, he says, look, let's extend an olive branch to show the people at Pixar and the people who work at Pixar and the people who pour blood, sweat, and tears and passion into Pixar. Let's show them, extend them an olive branch, show them how much they matter to us. Even though these things are not going to make any money, let's put these in movie theaters again, or for the first time, because they've already been on Disney+. Plus. But yeah, um, I, I don't think at all we're in a place that we can say original animated films don't make money. Listen, migration is going to lose money because it looks stupid. It it just looks stupid. Um, it's, I remember when they showed us the, um, the first previews for migration at CinemaCon all the way back in April. I remember saying, this just looks dumb. Why do they make this? This does not look funny. It doesn't look fun. Um, I mean, CJ Rebirth and uh, disagrees. CJ Rebirth thinks it looks great. Okay, great. I, I didn't see anything that looked interesting about it. So the reason that's projected to make so low is because I don't think many people think it looks very interesting. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Maybe, maybe it'll surprise people. Hopefully, it'll be great. I hope it's great. But I don't have a lot of hope for that. All right. Oswald writes, Do you think they will reveal Scar King was responsible for the war between the Godzilla and Kong species? In Godzilla vs. Kong, they talk about an ancient war between the two species, but never explain how this war started and who's responsible. I don't think so. The, the impression I got, and again, this is just an impression I got. I'm just guessing here as, as an average fan. Um, the impression I got was that they're going to show that Scar was responsible for the near extinction of Kong's race. Right. I, I, that to me is what the trailer was implying. So, um, Scar King is a different species than Kong, right? Obviously both what we would call monkey species, but he's a different species than Kong. I, I got the feeling, and I don't know if you guys agree or not, but the trailer to me suggested that that, that dude is what's responsible for nearly wiping out Kong's race. To the point that there were only a few of them left. Like, I believe there was Kong, had his parents, and that was all of them. So I think they're going to do that. I don't know. I'm going to guess they're not going to show any sort of connection to uh, an ancient war between the Godzilla race and the Kong race. I think it's going to just be more about Kong's race. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. But that's just the way the trailer kind of hit me. We'll see for sure soon enough. All right. Next up. BK Dan writes... John, did you see that Disney paid $8.6 billion so far for Comcast share of Hulu? Yep. Uh, might be more depending on the final evaluation. Forbes is also reporting Disney lost $1 to $1.5 billion in box office as well. Uh, how do you think Disney will recoup? Well, um, okay, so they paid $8.something billion for Hulu so far, but now there's an arbitrator who's going to set a final value and Disney may have to pay more, like maybe another half billion, maybe another billion, maybe another 1.5 billion. We'll find that out soon enough. Uh, Disney, they don't need to recover. I mean, Disney had many, many years in a row where they made 3 billion in profits, 7 billion in profits, uh, 1.2 billion in profits. They had a bad box office year. There's no way around it, but compared to like if you want to take the overall average of the past decade Disney's box office is way up 
like still way, 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 way in the positives. Disney could have three more years in a row like the one they just had, which was terrible, by the way. But they could have three more years in a row like that and they'd still be okay. They'd still be okay. Uh, they're not they're not in the position like, say, Paramount is in where people are wondering if Paramount's even going to survive. Uh, but that's just not the situation that Disney's in right now. They just made way too much money and shown that they have properties that can make... Listen, Deadpool's going to make a billion dollars. And now that Kevin Feige has all of his authority back and has been given his power back by Bob Iger that Bob Chapek took away from him, I think we're going to see Kevin Feige get the MCU back on track. They've been struggling. They've been struggling. I've told you Marvel's lost its magic. But now that Kevin Feige has his power back, I think he can get that back. I really do. So, And I think history's proved he can do it. So we'll find out. We'll see. Maybe he can. Maybe he can't. All right. Uh, next up, uh, where are we at here? Calum writes, Hey John, I just started watching Sons of Anarchy. I'm past the first season. I'm obsessed with this show. It's one of my top three favorite shows of all time. Jax and Clay are my favorite characters. Who's your favorite character? I mean, I love Jax. Clay is a great character, but my favorite character in the show is Opie, is Ope. Ope is my favorite character. And that doesn't take away how much I love you know, Chibs doesn't take away how much I love Bobby doesn't take away how much I love like all the characters. I love that show. It's like I said, it's in my top three all time favorite shows and I absolutely love it. I'm glad you're getting on board with it, man. All right. Uh, next up we've got tack T writes, Watched The Wolverine for the first time since it came out and really loved it. Amazing cinematography, action, and journey about finding purpose after loss would actually rank as uh, an X2, Future Past, Logan, Deadpool, and First Class Level film. I, I'm glad you like it that much. I don't like it that much. I mean, it definitely has its upside. The Wolverine 100% has its upside. Um, I did not like it nearly as much as you did, but it did have its pros. Like the big battle between Wolverine and the ninjas and all that. I mean, it did some really, really cool things in the movie. It absolutely did. But I would not at all put it on X2 or Logan level, like nowhere near that. But the important thing, Tact, is that you enjoyed it that much. And, and that's the key thing. Everything, it's all, all movies are subjective. And if that's the way the movie hit you, then I celebrate that. I'm glad that you did. I didn't myself, but that's okay. You did, and that's what's important. All right, next up. We got Garden Variety Vagabond who writes, John. On finding location of shows on streams, I love the Just Watch app. Not only will it uh, list all locations where you can find something, you can go there with one touch with each password already stored so it will start up right away. It's a free app. I've never heard of this garden variety. Is this something like that's an app on your phone or is this an app that can be installed on your Chrome TV, on your Roku, on your Apple TV Plus? Like, guys in the live chat, do any of you guys know about this Just Watch app? And if so, is it an app that's just, like, for your phone and tablet? Or is this an app that can go on the TV streaming devices? Like Roku, Apple TV, uh, Amazon Fire. Do any of you guys know? Uh, nobody seems to know. Okay. I mean, I don't need that app. Cord Cut and Cam is saying both. Really? So it's, so it's available on that? That's a really interesting thing. Now, because I have a Chromecast, I don't really need that. 
I just pick up the Chromecast remote, hit the assistant button, and I, like if I want, again, let's use the example of Dukes of Hazard again. If I want to check out Dukes of Hazard, I just hit the button and say Dukes of Hazard, and boom, Google right there on the screen show me exactly where it is and where I can watch it on my device. But if you don't have something like that, that sounds like a really handy thing. Uh, that sounds really, really handy. Okay, next up, we go to... Garden Variety Vagabond again writes, there was a great interview with the Archie Bunker actor, Carol O'Connor. He described the character as a sad man who missed so much joy uh, that he could have had in his life. Yeah, I mean, Archie Bunker's come up a lot lately because of, of course, of the the passing of Norman Lear, who made some of the most iconic television and certainly the most progressive television of all time. Again, a lot of podcasters and bloggers and YouTubers today would have called Norman Lear woke, Total liberal agenda guy. He's so woke. Why is he putting so many black people on TV? Uh, Anyway, but for a while there, he had like five of the top eight television shows going and the two top television showing, uh, like between Sanford and Son and uh, All in the Family had like the best stuff going. Anyway, but like there are a lot of people who think that you couldn't do a character like Archie, like Archie Bunker today. But you could, because the show All in the Family was never about um, Archie being right. It was always showing that he was wrong. He was he was a bigot. Archie was right, and we looked at Archie through kind of the lens, even though his daughter Gloria and his son-in-law Meathead. Um, weren't in the show a lot. We kind of looked at it through that prism, right? It, it was kind of like a Michael Scott character, right? Like some people say, you couldn't do The Office today. You could totally do The Office today because they never proposed that what Michael Scott was saying was right. <laughs> they proposed it as the ridiculousness of the stuff that he often said. And I think, and Archie was was kind of handled the same way. And um yeah, I mean, it was really, I mean, obviously it was a bit before my time, but I would watch the reruns of it and because they always reran shows like that on television when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was really, really kind of special that way. Okay, guys, listen, we've got more to get to, but before we do, we're going to take a quick uh, moment here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of Open Mic. We want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of this video, Masterclass. Guys, you know, as a small business owner, I am finding myself having to be in negotiations all the time, whether it's with new contractors, vendors, or even agencies that represent our company. Now, I don't like to go into these negotiations unarmed, so I found the perfect class on Masterclass, The Art of Negotiation by Chris Voss, a real-life former FBI lead hostage negotiator. Taking this class on Masterclass made me feel a lot more equipped and confident going into all these various negotiations. I have to do on a regular basis. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. An annual membership starts at just $10 a month, and you get unlimited access to every instructor, thousands of online lessons, exclusive content, insight, and much more. There are over 180 classes to pick from, everything from filmmaking with Martin Scorsese all the way to cooking with the great Gordon Ramsay. In Masterclass, you will find practical lessons that you can apply to your life and work. This holiday season, give one annual membership and get one free at masterclass.com slash campia. Right now, you can get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com slash campia. Masterclass.com slash campia. Offer terms apply. 
Guys, we want to take a second to thank the sponsor of today's video, Quip. Good health starts with good habits, and Quip makes forming good dental habits easy by delivering all of the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. I've already told you guys about their incredible toothbrush that is now my favorite toothbrush I've ever owned, and their mints and gum are amazing. But now I want to tell you about their water flosser. It hits all the right spots with gentle or deep cleaning pressure at the touch of a button. And don't worry about recharging. The cordless rechargeable battery lasts up to eight weeks with daily use, no bulky charger, or dock or tangled cords. It blasts away up to 99.9% .9 of plaque and popcorn from treated areas with precision thanks to the 360 degree rotating magnetic floss tip that snaps right into place. It's easy to control water flow that leaves you feeling squeaky clean. And the sleek and slim design, it keeps your countertops as clean as your teeth. So guys, if you go to getquip.com campia right now, you'll get 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, and water flosser. That's 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, water flosser at getquip.com slash campia. Spelt G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash campia. Quip, the good habits company. And thank you to our friends at Masterclass and Quip for sponsoring today's episode. All right, guys, with that down, let's get back to your questions here, shall we? And we're going to pick things up here with Andrew K, who sends in a $20 tip. Thank you so much, Andrew, for supporting us on that level, man. We really appreciate that. And Andrew writes, Hey, John, big fan of the show, and this is my first time writing in. Well, thank you, Andrew, for writing in and for being here. I was wondering if you have seen the Frasier revival, and if you have, what do you think of it, and did you like the original show? Okay, so first of all, I I really did like the original show. I, I, I never liked it quite as much as Cheers, in which it was a spinoff of, but I thought it was a worthy spinoff. And, you know, the fact that his brother Niles was hilarious, of, of course... Uh, I forget the name of the actor who played Frazier's dad, who passed away, unfortunately. It was great. I used to love the show. I really, like, I really liked it. And you know, it wasn't until years later that I never even realized that, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salad and scrambled eggs. I didn't know that was actually Kelsey Grammer singing the lyrics. I, I didn't realize that. Anyway, I love the song. I, I really enjoyed the show a lot. I am very interested in the revival, but I haven't watched it yet. All I've been able to watch is like six or seven scenes on YouTube. Cause I see certain scenes pop up uh, every once in a while and I watch them and I liked, I liked what I've seen and the reviews have been fairly solid. Um, so I have not seen it yet, but I will watch it. Uh, because I am curious about it, and I've really liked the reviews I've been hearing from it. So, again, Andrew, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for supporting us, and we're glad that you're a part of the show. All right, next up, Garden Variety Vagabond taps in $50. Garden, thank you so much, man. Uh, and Garden writes, uh, prayers to you and your family. We appreciate that you focus on the priorities in life. Obviously, talking about the fact that we didn't have a thing yesterday. Yeah, listen, um, I'm not going to go into the details, obviously, of what the, the surgery was. Um, I, I'm the typical, I was the typical husband, you know, and don't tell Ann I said this. I was the typical husband. Like Ann obviously was kind of um, anxious and nervous about the surgery. Of course, whenever you're going in for surgery, that's going to be a thing. And I like the whole time I'm like, I'm, I'm doing the stereotypical husband thing. Right. I'm like, ah, it's, it's routine. It's routine. The doctor said this and the doctor said that. It's going to be in and out. It's going to, 
well, it's not, it's not going to be anything. Right? Because I'm trying to play it off as being really super easy. No big deal. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I haven't told her this. I haven't told anybody this. Yeah, I've, I've been nervous. Of course I've been nervous. Um, that's scary. And, you know, I'm, I'm in there uh, with her before she's going in for surgery. And, and, and it was, it was for the doctor. It was a routine surgery. Like the doctor had done this procedure many, many, many times. So for the doctor, it was routine. Yes. But what, what isn't routine is being in a hospital room with your spouse and your spouse is like tubed up and, getting ready to go in for surgery and there's nothing you can do. And I, I felt, I felt very confident. I did. I felt confident. The, the doctor was very reassuring. The doctor was great, but I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you there was a part of me, there was a part of me um, that was a little scared to death. <laughs> of course, there's a part of me that's a little bit scared to death, mm. but all is well. The surgery went great. Uh, they told her she was going to be um, kind of out of it and have to take it really slow for the next week or so and didn't even have to take Tylenol last night. Like the doctors did such a good job and the incision place, she's like, I didn't even have to take Tylenol. I feel great. And she went to go to Disneyland today. I told her no rides. I told her just walk around. You and Kat just walk around, but no rides. Nothing like that. Take it very easy. But uh, she was feeling great today. So thank you for that. I, I appreciate that very much, Garden Variety. And I appreciate, again, to everybody who sent in well wishes and all that kind of stuff. I appreciate you all very much. Thank you so much for that. It's It, uh, it was greatly appreciated. All right. Uh, next up, we got Jarrett who writes, Hey, John, thoughts on the new deal to have A24 film stream exclusively on Max? Well, that's not exactly true, Jarrett. Now, now what for those of you who haven't heard, a24 has just signed a deal that their first pay all their films like like the upcoming Iron Claw and stuff like that that when they're done their theatrical release they will go to max that being said that will not necessarily be the permanent home for those right it's their the first streaming window will be max and for how long i don't know if it's 6 months one year, whatever, but those movies then will be eligible to move on to other streaming platforms and services at some point. But the first window is something that they call first pay. Um, the first window will be max. So all the first place you're going to be able to watch streaming, all the, the great A24 films coming out will be on max. And max beat out Netflix. I believe it was Netflix and Paramount. Uh, were the two other major competitors. I think A24 was sending their films first to Paramount, and Paramount just lost that. So that's a pretty, I, if I'm not mistaken about that, that's a pretty big blow for Paramount. But uh, yeah, these things will all be going to Max now, at least for their initial window. That's where you're going to find A24 films. So it's, I think it's pretty significant for Warner Brothers to land that. All right, next up, uh, we've got BK Dan who writes, regarding the Acme movie, I think Apple will walk in and in Don Corleone. Uh, parlance, make them an offer they can't refuse. I'm going to ballpark 80 million. No way. No way is Apple going to pay 80 million 
for Coyote versus Acme. It's not worth it. It's not going to make them any money. And Apple knows they won't have to offer that much. Honestly, I think the first company that comes in and offers like 45 million will probably get it. 45 or 50 million. Uh, the problem is right now that nobody wants it. Netflix apparently was only offering 30 million, so the conversations broke down. There's a report going around saying that Amazon and Paramount are interested, but being interested doesn't mean anything. They haven't made an offer, right? That the, the article was specifically said they've made no offer. And without an offer, I mean, I can say that I'm interested in it. That doesn't mean anything until somebody puts up the money. Now, I said on the show earlier today that I believe a deal will get done by somebody. And I think ultimately, because Warner Brothers spent $70 million making that movie, they're not going to get $70 million for it. But if I think once somebody comes in, maybe a Netflix will come back and like once if if Amazon or Paramount put in an offer and there's actually a little bit of competition, I think Netflix will up their bid. I think it'll come in around 45 million. And for 45 million, Warner Brothers will go, okay, yeah, if you give us 45 million, we're still losing money, but we'll be getting back more money than we'd be getting back if we took it as a tax write-off. Because right now, they're not being offered enough money to make it worth their while. Like right now, they're going to get a certain dollar, dollar value by just scrapping the film and getting a tax write-off from it. But I think if somebody can come in and make it like a $45 million deal, I think they'll take it. Um, and so, no. I mean, it might be Apple, but Apple ain't going to offer $80 million because they know they don't need to offer $80 million. It wouldn't be worth it to anybody. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's now move over to your live questions that you guys have been firing in here. And we're going to start off here with, uh, that moment was taken from me, writes the new crow film should have been a Gothic fantasy film. No, it shouldn't have. Cause then it's not the crow. <laughs> it should have been a Gothic fantasy film set in the time of a younger, uh, uh Edgar Allan Poe based on the Raven titled the crow nevermore. Here's the thing though, but then that's not the crow. Uh, that's not the crow anymore. Um, oh my God. Somewhere Kat and Anne are watching this and they just heard me talk about, she's out for a bit. Nine? Kat, she just had surgery yesterday. She just had surgery yesterday, Kat. What are you doing? What time is it now? It's like almost five o'clock, eight. You've got eight, okay? You've got eight. Have her home by eight, okay? I think that's a fair compromise. I think that's a fair compromise. Have her home by eight. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, where are we at here? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's then that's not the crow. Like, people are excited to see the crow for it being the crow. And what you just described isn't the crow, <laughs> Like, so, I mean, listen, the movie you're describing sounds like it could be an interesting movie, but that's not The Crow. That's not what that movie is. So I, I disagree that I think they should, um, uh, that they should, should have done that. I, I think if you're going to do a remake, do a remake, take some liberties with it, change a few things up, but you know, uh, don't take it, um, 
uh, don't uh, take it all the way. <laughs> no, baby. You cannot stay at Disneyland till nine. Eight. Eight is my compromise. All right. It was hard enough for me to agree for you to go to Disneyland at all today, a day after your surgery. Go home. Be home at eight. Okay. I think that's fair. I think I'm being a very understanding partner here. Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. All right. Anyway, I'm having, you guys are seeing us air our marital problems out in front of all you guys. All right. Uh, yeah, there we go. Next up, we go to uh, Kieran, who writes, I saw a 25th anniversary screening of Saving Private Ryan last night. Truly a gut-wrenching film and one of Spielberg's best. Uh, first time seeing it on the big screen. Took the movie to a whole new level. I... The biggest thing for me about Saving Private Ryan, and, and it is a marvelous... Excuse me for a second. Um, it's running low on Zevia. I gotta... Ray, Ray bought me this little desktop fridge where I, I keep my extra cans of Zevia. Um, the thing that really always stood out for me the most about Saving Private Ryan, and, and I say this in a very, very positive way, there are a lot of movies that say glorify war, right? That, oh man, that war looks so cool and, and oh man, I wish I could be in war or something like that, right? One of the things that I truly love about Saving Private Ryan, especially that big opening sequence on the beach as they're storming the beach, is you can't walk away from that movie without a thorough belief that war sucks. There, there's no other iteration. There's no other interpretation. War sucks. And watching, that doesn't mean that there has not been times in human history when it's been needed. Sometimes something sucks is what's needed, but, but never lose fact that war sucks. And I just remember what Steven Spielberg crafted in that moment, in that movie, showing the heroism of the heroes storming the beach, yet never leaving any room for doubt that this whole thing sucks. This whole thing is awful and sucks and is terrible. Um, the way Steven Spielberg was able to masterfully, um, you know, artistically present all of that as one over-encompassing message, I, I thought was powerful. I, I felt moved. I felt like, oh, oh. It's a strong movie, man. It's such a strong movie. One of his best. I'm not going to say it's his absolute best, but it's it's up there in his top five. Um, it's truly, truly a magnificent film. All right. Uh, next up, we got Devin Lida, who writes, To expand on my super chat from the podcast, there was this kid that got up on the stage after Elden Ring won Game of 2022 nominating Rabbi Clinton. Again, I have... I have no idea what any of that means, Devin. <laughs> I appreciate you trying to follow up on the thing from the show earlier, but I still don't know what we're talking about. So a kid got up and I have no idea what Rabbi Clinton means or nominating whatever, but, uh, but yeah, there you go. But thank you for the follow-up regardless, man. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Devin Lida writes, well wishes for Anne. Do you know her surgery? Yes, but I'm not going to 
discuss that. That's uh, I'll let you know she had surgery, what she was having surgery for. That's private. Uh, seconds from disaster rights. If Aquaman's mom dies, heartbreak will really feel good in a place like this. Well said. Well done, seconds from disaster. Well done. Um, well done. I like that very, very much. Yours is the comment of the day so far. All right. Uh, next up, we got uh, Albert Luna, who writes, I'm at work watching you. Just wanted to say hi. I'm, I'm, you know, going back to the movie blog days, Albert, going back to the movie blog days when I used to do the podcast. By the way, little piece of trivia, very first movie podcast there was, was my podcast, uh, the movie blog audio edition is what we called it. And it was a weekly podcast, but going all the way back to that and then at, uh, in for your consideration and then at AMC and then a collider now, I have always been amazed how many people have written in and told me they, they either read, watch, or listen at work. <laughs> and I always say like, uh, I mean, I should be telling you guys to, to be doing your jobs, but by all means, uh, keep listening to the John Campier show or the movie blog audio edition, as it was called at the time. Uh, the podcast, uh, go ahead, by all means, listen to us for work. So, hey, listen, if we can be there to help you get through a, a work day, I'm proud that we can do that, Albert. Th thanks a lot. I appreciate that. All right, guys, listen, we're going to take just a quick second here. And uh, before we get to the final number of questions that you guys have sent in and thank another sponsor of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends, my mobile service provider, and they absolutely should be yours, Mint Mobile. except the Mint Mobile ad isn't where it's supposed to be. So <laughs> technical problems as I'm running this by myself. Let me see. Where is my Mint ad? I've got a Mint ad. I'm sure that I do. Ah, there it is. Guys, let's try this again. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a moment to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Give yourself the gift of insane savings this holiday season with Mint Mobile's best wireless deal of the year. Right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you'll get another three months for free. That's six months of premium wireless service for the price of three. And Mint Mobile lets you order and activate from home while saving tons on phone plans starting at just $15 a month. Seriously, I can't think of a better gift than turning an overpriced wireless bill into just $15 a month with Mint Mobile. I've told you guys many times since switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my mobile service plan with Mint than I was on the previous big carrier who was my provider. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily and effortlessly with eSIM. So again, for a limited time, buy any three-month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you, now that we got it right, to our sponsor today, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours. Mint Mobile. All right, guys, let's get back over to the question, shall we? We're going to pick things up here with Mike's Movie Madness, who writes, do you think streaming services sh should allow for purchase and downloads of exclusive content, i.e. Stranger Things? Absolutely not, no. Uh, this way we can have a copy if they decide to remove later. Now, 
I don't think they should. Um, the whole premise of the streaming model is the only way for you to have this content is to be a subscriber to our channel, right? That's the whole premise of it. It is counterintuitive to the business model itself to then offer people to just be able to buy it individually and download it. Now, that's not to say that they might not eventually do that. Maybe they will. Maybe they do at some point. Um, but I'm thinking if I'm engaging in that business model and I'm not, I'm not engaging in that business model. But if I was, if I was a business and I was using that business model, then it would be counterproductive to the model to then offer some of those shows for download because then all of a sudden you buy five or six things and you decide, you know what, that's all I really want this service for anyway. So now I can unsubscribe. That's going to cost you money. So do I think they should do that? No, I, I honestly don't think they should. What I do believe they should do is if you do purchase something from a platform that if that thing is going to be pulled from the platform, you should then be given a downloadable version of it because you paid for it. So that, that's kind of mine. Now, a lot of people will disagree with me and that's totally fine. I get it. But no, if it was me, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. All right. Let's see. Uh, next up, we've got, where are we? Seconds from Disaster writes, I saw someone reporting on a uh, Godzilla X-Kong toy leak showing a titan named Shimu, which is a wingless dragon-like creature, maybe a second villain with Scar King. Or more likely than not, I haven't seen this thing you're talking about in general, so I can't really comment on it, but my guess would be it's probably just another rando monster. You know, like when Godzilla goes down to Hollow Earth and there's those flying creatures, they're just kind of whatever there and just cannon fodder for him to take out. It's also possible that this Shimu is just going to be more cannon fodder, or it could be a significant monster in it. Don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But again, I haven't seen the toy itself, Seconds from Disaster, to know for sure. But my guess, only a guess, and I could be way off, um, is that it's just going to be cannon fodder, like a, a jabroni for uh Godzilla or Kong to come in and take out without too much problem. Uh, but we'll see. Could be something different. All right. Shamrock Vibes writes, Glad to hear that there will be a second season of Interview with a Vampire. Can't wait to see them in Europe after New Orleans. I also enjoyed the movie. I really love the movie. I never saw a single episode of the TV show, though. Um, I can't even tell you what network it was on. Guys in the live chat, what what uh, what network was Interview with a Vampire on? Because I heard good things about it. Um, I just don't know many people that watched it, and I certainly I can't even tell you which. It's not on Netflix, I don't think. It's not on. Oh, it's on AMC Plus. That's probably why a lot of people haven't watched it. It's on the AMC Plus. Hmm. And you know, you're not the only one. It looks like we got official Liam is saying that. He really loved the show. Yeah, I've, I've heard good things about it. I just never even knew where it was, to be honest with you. I don't, And I don't think I have AMC. I don't think I have AMC Plus. So I don't know that I even have a way of watching it, unfortunately. But um, again, I've never seen an episode, but I've heard good things about it. I certainly, like most people, I loved the movie, but uh, never had a chance to watch an episode of the show, Shamrock. I'm glad you're getting it for a second season, though, man. All right, next up. Marcus Penner writes, my question from earlier on the show about media literacy was more about how do you feel about fandom often misinterpreting points or messages of films and celebrating them for the wrong reasons? Uh, um, well, see, okay. 
first of all, you have to understand that all TV shows and movies are art, right? And being art, messages or what people take away from it will differ from person to person. For example, uh, I've always said this is my illustration. If you have 10 people standing around the same painting in an art show, they could all have 10 different interpretations of the painting. And each are validly true. Um, it all depends on how it impacts you and what kind of an experiential thing it makes on you. Art is not an objective thing. It's a subjective thing. Now, in TV and movies, I think that same principle applies, but there is also the added thing that the creator had an intention with it, right? Now, just because the creator had an intention doesn't mean that's what the art ultimately ends up being, but you can't say that the artist had an intention. A good example of this is the recent brilliant um, South Park episode uh, into the Pandaverse, right? And, and the way that was wholly misinterpreted by some people is that on the one hand, it very much was making fun of Kathleen Kennedy and the, and the certain practices and things we have going on. 100% it was. 100% it was. Absolutely. What some people often forget about is that most of the time when South Park makes fun of an issue, they don't end up making fun of one side of an issue. They usually end up making fun of everybody involved. And one of the brilliant things about South Park is they'll often, they have the guts to show the absurdity, whatever the issue is, but they'll often take shots at the absurdity of the arguments on both sides of an issue, right? That, I mean, I remember when they did their stuff with Canada on strike, which was uh, a, really centered around the writer's strike at the time. Not the new writer's strike, but the, but the old writer's strike. I think that was, what year was that? Um, anyway, they didn't make fun of the studio side. They didn't make fun of the writer. They made fun of everybody. Like they made fun of everyone and kind of took shots at the ludicrous points on both sides of the issue. Some people looked at, I remember the Candon strike, as being a thing that totally was making fun of the writers. And others said, no, it was totally making fun of the studios. And the reality was, no, they were making fun of everybody. With the Panderverse episode of, um, of South Park, it's funny that a lot of people miss the fact that they were being made fun of too. Because in that scenario in those that episode they were cartman that oh no they're coming to get me we're so i'm, I'm so afraid waking up in cold sweats and all afraid something it's like so well on the one hand it's absolutely true they were absolutely making fun of one thing 100 they were and they, were, they did it brilliantly it was hilarious but some people also meant missed the fact that they were being made fun of as well because they were cartman in that um so, I mean, but but the the thing, though, is, Marcus, at the end of the day, the message of art is whatever that art communicated to you. And again, art is a subjective thing. And, um, and even sometimes the intention of the artist is superseded by the experience the art gives to an individual taking in the art. And that's a beautiful thing about art. Um, and one of the most powerful elements of it, I think. But yeah, anyway, there's that. All right.
Next up, we got Robert Presser who writes, if James Gunn doesn't use kryptonite by three doors down, we're still coming, Superman. Anyway, um, in the end credits of Superman Legacy, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, kryptonite. Man, that's a throwback song. That is a throwback song. Um, yeah, no, I, obviously you're joking. I don't think they'll do that. But you know what? No, wait a minute. I take it back. If there is any filmmaker who would put that song in a Superman movie, it totally would be James Gunn. <laughs> totally James Gunn would absolutely, I think, use that song. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll say it uh, probably does. I'll say it probably does. All right, next up. Uh, Cocoran Entertainment writes, Hey, John. Uh, my weekly podcast uh, hits episode 100 airs Tuesdays, and you're one of my biggest influences. Any advice of going into 100 episodes? No, I think just, look, the idea about podcasting and longevity and stuff like that. Listen, I've been doing this for many years, and I, I've been very, very lucky to have been successful doing this for a very, very long time. Uh, everybody along the way, all the way back from my movie blog days telling me I'm never going to make it. It's 2023. Here we are. Um, but I would say this, I think there are two keys to longevity in this space. All right. And take this for, this is just my opinion. I, I could be wrong. I could be right. Who knows? So take it for what it's worth. But I personally think there's two key things to take away. One, always stay true to your core ideas of what you want your podcast, blogging, videoing to be. But two, be willing to adapt and change around those core values you have. All right? So... Let me just give you an example for me personally. This doesn't have to apply to you. I'm just saying this is what has worked for me. That's it. This is just what has worked for me. Um, I've always wanted to my blog, then podcast, and then YouTube videos to be about the things I love. Yes, there are going to be times when something comes along that I need to criticize or rant about or whatever, but for the most part, for the most part, I want to make sure that my blog and then later my podcast and then later my YouTube videos are always about the things I love. And I'll give you an example of this. If we go right now to like the news topics on my channel, right? Here's all the individual topics in this middle row here. We got first reviews for upcoming Marvel series are surprisingly positive. And I talked about the, the promise that Echo is showing, even though I've got my doubts about Echo. You know I have my doubts about it, but you know, I, so I try to stay positive. Mark Ruffalo wants to do a Hulk. Baldur's Gate 3, game of the year. Rebel Moon moves release date. Uh, Coyote versus Acme was a little bit negative. It's, it's just talking about how a lot of people don't want it. A uh, blade game being in development. Let me keep going on here. Uh, Daredevil series to 2025. That wasn't positive or negative. That was just me kind of lamenting. 
Uh, Disney plus Hulu merging in. Talked about that. Foundation season three getting a third season. Me being bummed out that Andor is being pushed. Yes. Uh, the GTA trailer being here. Um, like for the most part, then you got something like is Deadpool three making the same mistake that the Marvels made? There'll be one of those once in a while. But if you go through this, it's like 85% I focus on the things that I'm positive about that. I like to focus on the things I love. I like to talk about the things I love. That's what gives me joy doing this. And that I've been able to do this for 20 years. Like I started the movie blog in 20 or in 2003, we're now in 2023. I've been doing this 20 years from blog, blog to podcast to, to YouTube videos. And the reason I've been able to keep my joy is because I, for the most part, I want to make sure that 80, 85, 90% of the stuff that I talk about is the stuff I love and the stuff that I'm enthusiastic about and the stuff I'm excited about. And yes, if I'm going to be honest, that means 10, 15, 20% of the time, there's going to be something that I'm negative about or that I didn't like or that I'm ranting about. Sure. But I always wanted to make sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm focusing on the things I love. Uh, contrast that to some blogs or podcasts or YouTube channels that I've gone to. And I'm not pointing out anybody specifically. I never talk about any individual podcast. I'm just talking about general trends. I'll open up a YouTube channel, for example, and every single video, like every single video is why this sucks, why this person is stupid, and why this thing is this, and why this thing is that. Because, you know, negativity gets clicks, I get it. But for me, my core thing I wanted for myself was to focus mostly, not 100%, but mostly on the things I love. I'm here to do channels, not to talk about other podcasters or other bloggers or other YouTube channel things. I'm not here to talk about this or that, or the other thing. I'm here to talk about the things I love, right? So that's primacy number one. Now, number two is with everything that surrounds that core thing that you want yours to be. For me, it was talking about the things I love. For you, it might be some other thing, right? But be willing to adapt and change around that premise. So for me, it was adapting from written blogs to podcasts. And then when I was doing podcasting, I fooled around with the format of my podcasting a lot. And then when I transitioned into YouTube videos, I, I, I've played around with a lot of different things, always keeping my core thing in place, but always adapting and changing and, and trying different things. Some things working, some things not working. Eh, that's the game. And that, so yeah, I would say as you get to the point that you're at with a hundred episodes, but I would also say this is true for anybody just starting out is number one, find out and discover what your core thing is. What's most important to you. That'll be unique for all of us. So find what is that core, most important thing to you. And then be willing to change and adapt the things that surround that as you go. Now, again, that's just a, a formula that's worked for me. That doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for you. We're all unique. We're all different. Different things work for each of us, but that's what has worked for me. Anyway, uh, thanks for asking. I hope I, hope I illuminated that for you a little bit. Uh, then we get to the chats, the cheeky chats that both Kat and Ann sent in. Uh, and then we wrap things up here with uh, Devin Lida, who writes, uh, on the, uh, the, oh, the camera's on, the, the camera's on the whole time. 
What are we talking about? Anyway, uh, Chelsea writes, Hey, John, uh, what are your box office predictions for Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom? I mean, the last I saw, the last I saw, the opening weekend projections were not great. Um, I I think they were saying like somewhere around 40. Now, keep in mind, the first Aquaman movie that made over a billion dollars, and I didn't think the first Aquaman movie would make a billion dollars, and it did. The first Aquaman movie that made over a billion dollars only made about $68 million on its opening weekend. I mean, that's that's still a very good opening weekend. $68 million is still good, but it's not like it made $150 million on its opening weekend, you know? So... Even if Aquaman can make like 40 opening weekend, that could theoretically um, put it on a trajectory if it follows the same um, the same kind of path that the first Aquaman movie took. I mean, it could still end up making half a billion. Look, I think this. I think that Aquaman 2 will not make anywhere near as much money as the first Aquaman did. But I do believe if the movie's good, and I haven't seen it yet, that it could become the first DC film, first DCEU film in the past five years to make over $400 million. Remember, in the last five years, in the seven DCEU films that have come out, not one of them has been able to make $400 million. Not even Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Black Adam. No DCEU film has made $400 million to the box office. I believe this Aquaman movie can if, if the movie is good. If the movie is good. And if it is, I think it can get to the half billion mark. If it's not, it will struggle to get to that $400 million mark. So we will have to see. And guys, with that, that'll do it for today's installment of the John, or not of the John Campbell Show, of Open Mic. Thank you so much for being here and making this little show a part of your afternoon. Thanks for hanging out with me here, guys, as we talk about all the things that we love, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all that good stuff. It was great to have you guys here. I hope you guys have an awesome weekend ahead of yourselves. Go have a great time. By the way, the other day, uh, I got to do an interview with uh, our all, most of our favorite artists in the world, Boss Logic. Uh, Boss Logic. Boss Logic and I have actually talked on social media for years about wanting to finally do like a little video together. Yesterday, we finally had the chance to do one together. Uh, it was for an upcoming episode of D of Designing Hollywood. Of course, Designing Hollywood is a show that we air on our channel, and that'll probably be going up early next week. And it was a great, fun interview uh, with me and Boss Logic. I was also joined by Philip Boutte, who's a great artist in the movie industry, and uh, it was an awful lot of fun. I'm, I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy that conversation. We have a chance to put, put that up, so keep your guys' eyes open for it. For now, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.